Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm your host and former computer engineer turned entrepreneur, Manny Laya. Well, hello, everyone. I have a special guest today. I came across his book back in 2012, a long time ago. This is the Copywriter's Handbook by Robert Bly, and I have him here with me today. Really excited to have you here, Robert. Thank you very much for having me. Is it Robert? Is it Bob? How do you it's want? It's Bob. Bob, yep. That's Bob. what I felt. Yeah. So, Bob, thank you very much for being here. I'm super excited. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, this book, you talk a lot about copywriting. This is all about copywriting. And in some ways, it's a combination of like a copywriter's handbook for anyone who's trying to become a copywriter, but then no matter who you are in business, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to convince people to buy your product or service. And that means you need to be able to write copy. And that's why I like this book. I basically read the stuff or I've been studying the stuff that's all related to writing good copy. And I wanted to pick your brain about it. So yeah, I'm super excited. Before we do that, before I get into the book, I would love to understand what your journey has been like. So if you would give us a background, your story and your journey into the world of copywriting. I would love that. So in college, which was eons ago, uh, I'm a lot older than you. I I went to the University of Rochester and I got a BS degree in chemical engineering. I was, and I was planning to be a chemist, uh, a research chemist. I'm a computer engineer, by the way. hmm? I'm a computer engineer from my past life. Really? So I always tell people that's the second smartest engineer. <laughs> okay, I agree. Although my son is a software engineer and he thinks I'm a dummy. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but when you, you know, when companies come on campus to interview senior engineering students, you get a lot of interviews. And a couple of them said to me, I mean, I got job offers to be a chemical engineer, but some said, you know, I have a requisition here to get a, a, a writer, marketing writer and another one, technical writer, with an engineering background. So I got a couple of job interviews for writers, and one was in the marketing department of Westinghouse Corporation, and I, I liked that, the idea of that. I liked the guy who was the boss, and that's how I got started. I went to work for them in 1979 and uh, never looked back. Wow, 1979. So you've had a storied career, like it's been 40 years in the world. I have been a copywriter for over 40 years. Yeah. So share share some of those, you know, sh- tell us some of your stories, like in the sense, what has this journey been like? What got you to writing the book Like from the time that, you started writing? That's an writing? easy one for me to answer. I am a, and a lot of people are like this. I think it's a basic human instinct that when you have knowledge, you want to share it with others or pass it on to others. So when I got into copywriting full-time freelance, well, I had Westinghouse for a couple of years. And then, you know, in in 1982, I became a full-time freelancer. And I said, I'm learning stuff. I want to share it with other people. And the way I share, like you're doing a podcast, the way I share things is through books because I'm a bookaholic. I'm a book addict. So I said, I'm going to write a book on this. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, love it. So that was that was such a long time ago, and you 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 worked for someone for a while. You wrote copy for Festinghouse, but then you said, "Okay, I'm just going to write copy 
as a freelancer. Yes. Uh, what kind, like in 40 years now, you've written copy for almost every kind of industry, probably. A lot, yeah. A lot of different industries out there. What has been, like, what has been interesting or fun or diff like what has been the most exciting industry for you to write copy for in some ways i get here's the answer no first normally what's most interesting to me is what i just did or what i'm working on now mm-hmm. so i have one client to me this is really interesting uh he has a it's a it's a company that makes what's called in in england bespoke beds and i discovered that bed technology you know, an ordinary bed like what I had was a kid is nothing. Today, specialized beds, it's fascinating technology because not all tech is high tech. This is middle tech, but it's really interesting. So I wrote an ad for them and I absolutely love doing it. I'll give you one other example. I, after Westinghouse, I went to work briefly for a company that made equipment for refineries, hydrocarbons. And I, on and off, I've worked in hydrocarbon processing again, for four decades. I get a call from a guy. He wants, he has refinery equipment. I said, what's your equipment? He goes, it's a desalter. I've never heard of this and I've been in it for decades, but apparently crude oil has too much salt in it. And that's a problem for refineries. And there's a machine that I never heard of that removes the salt, a very interesting technology. That's the kind of thing that I love. Love it. So there's like, as, as I dig into this book, like as we dig into this book and talk about it, and as I was studying the book earlier, one of the things that caught my eye, and more so because I'm working on a specific project, like um, on a, I just launched a new business. And uh, Congratulations. thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've had 2000 books for over six years, almost six years now, mm-hmm. which is the book summary business that, you know, we're doing this podcast for, but right. then I just started something brand new in the last two months and it's taken off and it's been a lot of fun. But like, as I was thinking about what you had written and as I was reviewing my notes, one of the things that you said was, you know, that's well known and it's copy. It's like, you need to make a bold promise. You need to make a big promise. But then, you know, there is this downside of a big promise that sometimes it's not believable. Sometimes you find your solution. Huh? Want me to say what it is? You can't, you shouldn't make a big promise unless you immediately follow up with big proof. Mm. So if you make a, for example, I had a client that did a, a, a mailing piece for one of their stock newsletters. And it said, we made 252% profits in the last three years or whatever. And it's a big claim. So immediately you read that and you go, baloney, you don't believe it. But underneath on the cover of this mailing was all their stock trades. So you could see that they, in fact, averaged out to 252. So he made a huge promise and he immediately proved it. So that's, that's partly what I am trying to figure out. And I'm going to share my screen to show you what that big promise looks like. And I would like right. to hear from you if I've sure, been I'd like able to. to yeah. Let me show you what we've got here. And it, I feel like it is a big promise to the point where it might be a little intimidating to people. Uh, Okay, I love this. I'll tell you why. Personal productivity is, are you you talking? Because I can't hear you if you are. No, I'm I'm listening to you. That's a a moving picture. Personal productivity is one of my obsessions in life. It's a favorite subject of mine, although I'm not a specialist in it. And I actually have written 
for a, a publisher, Career Press, a book on personal productivity on time management mm. and time management. So I'm very into this. Love it. So, so natu- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So no, I want to give the stage to you. Like, if if you want, I could literally give you the link to this so you can scroll through it. Well, I can see, I can see the, you know, I don't want to take too much time reviewing the whole thing mm-hmm. and getting the, the top panel of it is enough for me to tell. So what now, what's your, what are you looking for me to help you provide? So I'm, I'm saying, I feel like my promise is too bold and it might feel for a lot of people, they might feel like, okay, this, I don't believe. And as a result, they just don't like they lose credibility for the page, even though this is my personal story. This is actually what happened to me. And I basically explained that later on down the line. And mm-hmm. we have a bunch of testimonials that we're using to show like literally people talking about even doctors talking about how they're able to double their productivity, business owners talking about how they're able to have their highest revenue months as a result of using what we're doing. I feel like the promise might be too bold and I may not. It's not, but scroll down a little bit so I can see those testimonials. Are, so these are video testimonials, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. But go back now to the top. I'll teach you a little hack, a little trick for making a big claim more believable with just mm-hmm. copy. You, and I would put the second line in boldface as well. Now I finish 16 hours of work in six hours by doing super focused work on focus blocks. I would put focus blocks and quotation marks because okay. it's your term. But then after that, I would put dot, 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 as incredible as that sounds. When you acknowledge that it's almost unbelievable and they read that, their resistance goes way down. So that's a real easy, short, simple hack to getting you know, something that is a huge claim believed. So you just say as incredible as it sounds? You say... Let's say we didn't have the subhead. I would say, now I finished 16 hours of work in six hours, dot, 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 as incredible as it sounds, period. It, and I've tested this hmm. a lot, and it works. And so that's one, simple, that's one simple thing to do. Now, here's another one. There's a couple of others. I, I, I won't overblab, but... Sure, sure. Yeah. In, in, in above the headline... You, you want to add what we call a credibility pre-head. Hmm. And then you, you know, so you, like in my websites, yours would be different. Uh, I have websites, landing pages that are selling programs for marketing, marketers, business owners, copywriters. They don't know who I am, a lot of them. So it says, uh, it says, Robert Bly, above whatever my headline is, it says, Robert Bly, the man McGraw-Hill calls, quote, America's top copywriter, unquote, and the author of 100 plus books reveals, dot, dot, dot. So you have, you would do that for you. You have some kind of credibility pre-hit. It's, it's that you're a time management expert or you have your own business and, and you learn these techniques. Uh, that way you establish instant credibility because the one thing, when someone reads a big claim, the other, in addition to not believing it, which is, you know, we talked about, they say, well, who are you? You know, why should I believe you? Anybody could say this. But if you put a credibility prehead, that will uh, take care, instantly disarm a lot of, or most of the skepticism. They say, oh, yeah, this guy must be an expert. 
So in my case, for example, I literally studied and summarized the greatest books ever written on productivity, time management, execution, strategy, goal setting, all of those things, 70 books. I've summarized them. I've actually sold the summaries of those books. So this is like, this is my credibility in sense, like that's what I did. And as a result, I, like, I went through a journey of figuring out productivity and it's not a random thing that I came up with in one night. Yeah. So that could be in your credibility prehead. And again, I'm looking just at the first screen, but that could be, is it in your web page copy somewhere? It is, but all the way down. At- no, I wouldn't have that all the way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's your credibility. So I might, you know, I might put that as a prehead or a subhead uh, right under this first screen. Scroll up a little bit so I can see the second screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I might have, before, you know, after the news things, but before the testimonials, uh, a block of copy, it's two paragraphs that basically explains what, what you just said. And you say, my name is blah, blah, blah. How do, how, why should you listen to me about time management? It's simple. I'm not an originator, but I, I studied and dissected or summarized the 70 best books or best courses, whatever, on, on time management and distilled them down to this and now you get them and, and that saves time because people don't want to you know you, what, what took me x months to read 70 books you can get in an hour right so so the, the interesting thing here is this is not even a course it's actually a daily execution it's a live call on zoom where we do daily like work so well, i mean that that is also appealing you just say that you know, it's rather than have to sit down and read out these 70 books and then try to puzzle it out, I do all, I guide you through it, or I do the hard work, I do the heavy lifting, and I'll do it in person with you, taking you along so you can have focus, you can have focus every day and get more done every day in less time. Right. So I feel like I would have to tell my story a little more to be able to explain that because the reason why this came about was I had studied all of these great books on productivity, on time management, on goal setting. And I had sold three different courses on productivity, which are like really amazing. Thousands of people have bought those courses from our, from our platform. But what I found was, you know, a few months ago, my girlfriend basically wanted to break up with me because I was working 16 hours a day. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I so crazy with my work habits? I, I have literally created a system which is so easy to like the most powerful system I know to be able to be productive. And even then I was failing. And in so that moment, what I would say in my copy is, uh, and that's a good story. I would tell it, but I'd say it, it, it's, I would use this phrase. It's ironic. I had studied the 70 most valuable books mm-hmm. and produced three best-selling courses. And yet I myself was still working 16 hours a day. Something was wrong with this picture. Then I discovered focus blocks. Mm, okay. So should I weave in the story of my girlfriend and I? And the, all uh, those you things? could. I, you know, I leave that up to you. You could do it uh, one way uh, or not. Certainly that kind of stuff does work. If mm-hmm. you can make it a little more personal. Yeah, my, my gut instinct would be yes, do that. Okay. Because if you can make it a little more personal, you know, this phenomenon, I'm sure you've heard it, of transparency. Mm-hmm. in the internet, which is a change from when I first got into marketing decades ago. We believe that your customer doesn't care about you. 
They mm-hmm. only care about what's in it for them. But now, because of the, the internet being two-way communication, they become interested in you, especially if you're going to be their instructor and their coach. They want to know not only about your program and the benefits, they want to know who you are. Mm-hmm. For example, I publish a, uh, a, an e-newsletter twice a week, and I know from my email that a lot of the subscribers, not all of them, I mean, a, a core group, they form a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Like a guy wrote me today and he says, he always says, he says, brother Bob, that's what he calls me. So, and that when you form a relationship with people, they do what you say and they are more readily buy what you offer. Mm. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things you talked about in the book that I was thinking about the idea that, you know, there are kind of three elements of copy, if you want to call it, or three ways to be persuasive, the logical or the intellectual, the emotional and the personal. And you said like personal is the most powerful. The logical is kind of the surface level or intellectual surface level, but then emotional is more powerful than personal is when it really gets powerful. But then it's a personal, there's a two-way street expressing who I am, but also being able to understand the customer, right? Well, the, yeah, the old axiom for this that we've been living by is people buy based on emotion. Now I would probably adjust that to say people buy on emotion and relationships and trust. But Mm -hmm. then we say, but they justify their purchase decision with facts, with logic. Hmm. So, yeah. So, so that as we're talking, like the personal part of it is what, um, I have I had been leaving out in the copy, but I feel like I need to present in the copy pretty quickly. Now, with regards to our testimonials, do you believe, like, as you, you, you are, you're saying I should move the testimonials down compared to... No, I, I believe I testimonials say. are important, but what we're discussing now precedes that to me, because okay. that sets the stage, and that's what draws you in and creates more instant credibility. Testimonials are good for creating credibility, especially videos, but everyone has them. So it's not quite as effective. It's effective, but more powerful is your story. You know, Mm -hmm. the reason how, the reason why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, there's some book written recently. I didn't read it about this guy's theories. In marketing, you have to, in business, you have to say the why. But it's true, you know. Yeah, and people want to know why does this exist? Why did you do it? Why do I need it? So I would have I would have the top stuff you have here, then the yeah that stuff underneath these you know the story in a in a section, and then mm-hmm. underneath that the testimonials which are supporting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so not really worry about because I was trying to identify the audience, talk to them in some way as like is this. Well, I like are? this too, and no, I would have a you know you're going to have a uh, longish uh, one screen homepage. I, I, I like what you have here in this section, uh, but, you know, I think you need to first tell your story. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair. So jump into the story before I even go into kind of anything else. Well, so what we're looking at, you do that first, mm-hmm. but under that, under the NBC and the TV logos, you mm-hmm. put your section, a horizontal section for your story, then underneath mm-hmm. that, the testimonials, and then underneath it, the details, what you what we were looking at before. Got it, got it, got it. I mean, that's good stuff. I like that. Thank you, thank you. So, okay, um, this was this was fun. 
And this is like a, a live interaction on what we think about as copywriters and how, you know, someone like you who has basically been living and breathing copy for as long as I've been born. It's amazing to get that kind of insight. Well, I have narrow, I'm a narrow person. I, I only love a few things and probably the thing I love most is writing in general and specifically copywriting. I do other kinds of writing and I enjoy it, but copywriting is, you know, what, what ignites my fuse. Yeah. So I want to go back to like talking more about the copywriting um, like in the book that we talked about. One of the things you, you said, okay, um, in order to write to sell, we need to, you know, there are different kinds of copy formulas, the AIDA, attention, interest, desire, action, the ACCA, the four Ps, but then you have your own. And that's the one I want to like kind of talk about the motivation sequence or the motivating sequence, which starts with getting their attention. Well, it's a motivating sequence mm-hmm. is a variation of the AIDA. The AIDA, as you point out, is act, attention, interest, desire, and action. Mm-hmm. It's missing one step, though, which the motivating sequence has, which is the proof. As we just discussed, if you promise a benefit, you have to, and, and a claim, or you make a claim, you have to have proof. And the bigger the claim, the benefit, the promise, the more massive the proof you need. So my formula motivating sequences. Step one, get attention, like AIDAA. Step two, the way I do it, is um, I state the problem the product solves that the reader has or the need it fills. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, you're not going to buy something that you know, solves uh, you know, psoriasis unless you first talk about you know, you have psoriasis and it's terrible. And I don't really know much about psoriasis. So number one, you get attention. Number two, you state clearly the problem. Number three, you position you, your company, your product or service as the solution. And step five is you ask for action. But step four between that, after you tell about that, oh, hey, I got an answer, you put in proof. And the reason people see long video sales letters and long uh, online sales pages is that the people who are successful prove provide a lot of proof, which takes more, a lot of words, a lot of research. It's a lot of work. And most marketers, most business people either don't believe in it, or if they do, they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So what you're say- saying here, proof is like uh, the second last element here um, before the call to action, before the final call to action. Um, is proof... Like the testimonials that we have, that, that those are a big element of proof, right? So mm-hmm. uh, in that copy that we just saw, should we actually move proof further down all the way till the cost to action comes? No, I, I think once we get uh, talk about your story and your story can incorporate your problem, I was working 16 hours a day and then I discovered this. So you introduce the solution. And mm-hmm. I like putting the, the proof more upfront here because unlike uh, print ads and direct mail for which we design the motivating sequence, uh, people are somewhat, or I believe this, more skeptical online. So mm-hmm. we, we like to have proof earlier, which is why I suggested to you credibility prehead. In a way, we put proof right up front. It's the first thing you see. So we overcome the disbelief and skepticism. Ah, I see. So the proof goes up there. And yep. does my story actually, is my story in any way 
a proof element or it actually it's is proof. Just a- it's proof. Yes. It, if you explain, it explains why you did it and also without going into technical details, how it works. So that's proof, but it's a, it's limited proof in that it's your product, it's your system. So if you say my system is great, people are skeptical. They say, of course, you're saying that you're selling it. But if other people say it, which you have, then it's more credible. Like you, I see on the web, a lot of people say, I'm, you know, I'm a genius at marketing or, you know, engineering or whatever. And if you say you're a genius, nobody believes it. But if other people say you're a genius, then it's more credible. Right. So it's like a amalgamation. We're, we're putting together proof from different angles. Yes. From our own story, but then proof from the stories of our users and their experiences and things like that. Right. A simple example is a line that I would read a lot in uh, promotions for businesses would be something like, our customer service is the best in the industry. It's a brag and boast statement. And how do I believe you? All you do is say, our customers tell us that our customer service is the best in the industry or customers tell us without, and that's like a, a, what we call an implied or unattributed testimonial. You know, you're not saying a specific individual, we're saying customers tell us that blah, blah, blah. It's it's a little technique, a small technique. Interesting, interesting. So yeah, that that is very, uh, getting that proof element is a crucial component of this whole thing, whether we do it through, you know, testimonials or research studies or, you know, even talking, one of the things you talked about in the book is showing them that you can, they can trust you by talking about the number of employees or number of customers or number of years in business, which sounds like, you know, more and more now we're living in an age where people need to see this. Yeah. Like I had a client that I just did a website for and they make technology X and they have a few competitors, but they have 9,000 systems installed worldwide and no one has even close to that so we sh- we say that we show a map with covered with red dots that shows and makes that point and that does create trust mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so we can use something as simple as we have 20 focus guides from around the world who run these basically we run this 24 24 hours a day these focus sessions that are happening Uh, around the clock. Yeah, and that also is not only proof, but it's a benefit. So it's never not available. It's always available. Mm -hmm. You know, if you need to figure this out, you know, three in the morning, we're here. Yeah, yeah. If you want to come do some focused work at three in the morning, join a focus block and you'll get some focused work done. So, so, but yeah, just putting that, like we have that many number of employees or number of guides also puts that. Number of employees, number of guides. Here's another one. It's not the top, but one proof, one proof for claims or proof to create trust is how many years you've been in business. Mm-hmm. And then here's a little tip. When you're giving a time frame, use the largest measure of time available. So instead of saying 24 years, I would say almost a quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. It sounds longer. Hmm. So instead of saying six years, I say almost half a decade. Almost half a decade. Now six <laughs> or over half a decade. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I would say for almost a decade, because you hmm. could argue that you know, 
when you round off six, goes to 10. <laughs> so you could either say, if, you, if you're a little conservative about that, you know, for over half a decade, once mm-hmm. you get to eight or nine, you can say for nearly a decade. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so cool. Now, I could say now, I mean, over you know, I say, I say over four decades, I could say for nearly half a century, except people would think I'm, you know, the mummy or something. So Zero I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I was thinking about the big promise was because you had something very interesting, which is the secondary promise. You said sometimes when people don't believe the big promise, um, they may not believe. And I still like, I'm skept- like, I'm worried that people don't believe that I can do 16 hours of work in six hours. So there's that part of me that's like, ah, oh, they probably like part of a lot of them would. And the secondary promise for you might be something like this. You know, we guarantee or we know whatever you, the phrasing is that we, you take this and do this and we will I'll enable you to do 16 hours worth of work in six hours. But even if I'm wrong, just giving you an extra hour a week, think about what that would make, it, uh-huh. what that would, or an extra hour a day, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, you get 365 or 250 extra hours. So even if you don't believe my main prompt, you know, promise, even if it works one six as good as I say, it's worth still worth to you what I'm charging you a hundred times over. Uh, it's like the same thing with the uh, example you had in the book about uh, the stock. Um, well, the, the example I gave is the stock for of a biotech company. Mm-hmm. And we said it's going to soar because they are inventing essentially a bionic liver. Mm-hmm. Because if your liver is, is not well, you can't wait for a transplant. You can't be without a liver. So this would be an artificial liver. And we said, but even if this product, you know, doesn't develop or takes, you know, eons to get FDA, FDA approval, the technique used in doing the, and we named some part of it, yeah. the filtration system alone will triple the stock and we have many ap- applications. And I, I think it was something to do with being, oh yes, normally in drug testing, they test it on a, Swine, mm-hmm. you know, and because it's a big animal, it takes a long time. His first technique for this was to get swine cells and keep them on a plate. And then, you know, it's a small sampling. You get the results in like a, an hour or two hours instead of five days. Mm-hmm. So he said, even if the whole thing bombs, we've just invented the most radical drug taste testing uh, technology on the earth. What do you think pharmaceutical companies are going to pay for that, given that you know, uh, you know, introducing a product, if it's delayed X time, will cost you a million dollars. Yeah. And so the, the question then becomes, do you present that secondary benefit right up there, like uh, above the fold in some ways, or do you like wait to normally, make it later? Normally, we, if it's, if it's not a huge, big promise, you can cover various secondary benefits within the body copy. But if it's a huge, big promise, we were saying this stock is going to explode from $2 a share to $100 a share in 12 months because they, they, they invented the most amazing thing on earth, the bionic liver. That's such a big promise. Then yes, right under that, we said, but even if company X doesn't succeed with its bionic liver, the stock is still going to go, instead of 50-fold, it's still going to grow 10-fold because blah, blah, blah. And then we give the secondary promise. Mm. So in my case, I could say something like now I finished 16 hours of work in six hours, 
but even if you can't finish 16 hours of work in, or, but even if you were able to get, you know, four hours of extra time every single day. It's it low though. So it's so believable. Say, but think about this. Even if you only got an extra hour a day and then you show what that mm. is, because people I've sold products that are time management products where we, the big promise we made was uh, an hour a day. And it, it was crushingly successful. It was for a, you know, what daytimer is right. So it was for a, this was a while ago, it was for a competitor of daytimers. Mm -hmm. And we said, this system will give you one extra hour of productive time a day versus a daytimer guaranteed, or we will buy your daytimer from you and give you your money back. And Mm -hmm. it was a big hit. Very interesting. So even if, so I could, I don't have to worry about four hours because I still like, I keep thinking like, because this is so revolutionary in what we're doing and the results. Well, the revolution doing. though is in your main promise. That's already there. But the, mm-hmm. the fallback, the secondary promise is something that is very achievable and realistic, yet people uh, believe it and it's still a great benefit. Hmm. I mean, so most people, just- what? Do you just hit it in the in the subheadline in that case? I, yeah, I wish I had the uh, the the copy for this uh, other product. Uh, it said something like, uh, "Company X, uh, the stock is going to go from a dollar from a dollar or two dollars to fifty dollars in twelve mm-hmm. months because of this amazing bionic liver." But even if Company X doesn't get the bionic liver on the market the stock will then still multiply tenfold because of this, because of the drug testing breakthrough that was, came out of the recent R&D in the bionic liver development. That's not how it read, read much smoother. But yeah, right under the, right under the, the primary promise, the secondary promise, get right away. So that instantly this, uh, gets rid of skepticism. People say, mm-hmm. well, I don't know that you guys can make a bionic liver, but yeah, drug testing technology sounds realistic. And I don't know that you guys can take a $2 stop to $50 or $100 anytime soon. But if you're saying you could take it to $5 or $10, I believe that. And I'd make a lot of money in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So another thing you talked about in the book, and this is probably very crucial for any copywriter to understand is that, you know, before the product, we have to start with the person, the product, the prospect, right? Start with the prospect, not the product. And that means we need to know our consumer, our customer really well. And there are different frameworks that we talk about. And one of those is the uh, the BFD framework, if you want to think about it. Like, that's what... Uh, yeah, we now call it the BDF because I said BFD in a speech and people started laughing and I said, what's so funny? And they said, that stands for big effing deal. I didn't know that. I'd never heard that. So, you know, so I changed it immediately to BDF. And the BDF formula says you can really dig into the psyche, what we call the core buying prospect that's in the, the, core, buying pro- the core buying complex that's in the prospect's mind based on three factors. Ask them, Ask yourself, what does this audience believe? Number one. Number two, what do they want? What do they desire? In your case, these guys uh, desire to be more productive, to save time, and to get more done and make money. But the third one 
beliefs, desires, is feelings. How do they feel about the proposition or the product that you're offering them? For instance, uh, if you're going to IT professionals, you know, how do they feel in their, what's important to them? How do they feel? And one of the things we found, and we did a letter to IT professionals using this formula, we brainstormed and found some, we said, hmm, you know what? IT professionals have an adversarial relationship with the user. They think the user's a pain in the ass. The users don't like them. So that's, we did a headline for our seminar. It was selling a, a seminar on interpersonal skills for IT professionals. And it says, the headline was, important news for any IT professional who has ever felt like telling an end user, quote, go to hell, unquote. <laughs> and it pulled, it pulled six times the, their previous mailing. What? Six times. That is insane. Um, so one of the things when we think about something like this, like a broad product or what is here, the focus block product, I am currently writing it, writing most of the copy or for myself. Right. I am the target audience for something like this because as an entrepreneur, I know the pains and struggles and all those things. But I also know that the person I was in my previous life when I was a computer engineer, the software engineers, we have a lot of customers who are software engineers. They they need it badly as well. I also know that writers need it because this is their time to come and do focus. So I feel like there's so many different subsections of audiences that I could target and go after in terms of uh, writing copy and going after it. How do you how do you reconcile that when you're writing copy? Like, how do you think, okay, I should just write to this one audience and not really worry so much about the software professional or the writers or any of the other knowledge workers out there? Well, there's two ways to do it. One is the way you have done it because your proposition, productivity and time savings is universal. So you don't want to restrict it to an audience, uh, to, to a niche or narrow market segment, but you might have a section that says, uh, like on that, that website I wrote for that company that had the, uh, the, the 9,000 units installed, we, we had a section is, this is used for, this technology is used for hospitals, offices, um, you know, factories. Um, and we had like nine things. And when you clicked on those panels, which had a picture of a hospital and the word hospital, a page popped up that was specifically about why this is good for a hospital. You could do the same thing. You could say, you know, this is especially helpful for writers, uh, managers, software engineers. And you could name what you think are the best five or six or seven or eight niches and have uh, hyperlinks to them, maybe at the bottom of the page. Mm -hmm. And when you click on hyperlink, you get a short page of copy or medium length page of copy that says, why do engineers need this? Why do engineers need this? Why do writers need this? You know, mm -hmm. and you explain how it's especially beneficial to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry. So in, no, this is great. In that case, what, when you're writing copy though, like you really have to get into the psychology and the mindset of that person and the, 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 the whole like beliefs and feelings and desires and the BDF, uh, all of those things, right? And that's different for a software engineer compared to someone who's an entrepreneur or someone who's a writer. So what we're saying here is I have to write for that one person, for the entrepreneur that like I know best, mm -hmm. but then allow the copy to at some point highlight that it can also be used for these people. 
Yeah, and the way about around this is a lot of times, and you just said this, we are writing for an audience that is essentially like us or an audience of which we are a member. Mm-hmm. So we know the stuff, all the mm-hmm. stuff you're talking about. But I have often been then asked to write for audiences, groups that I'm not part of their tribe. So I do two things. Number one, I concentrate my copywriting as an independent copywriter in just a few niches. So even though I'm not a, um, I'm not a doctor, I do a lot of healthcare medical copywriting. So at this point, I know what doctors are interested in. Mm-hmm. And the other one is like for this company where I said it's for hospitals, blah, blah, blah. I asked the, the manager at the client, there was a separate manager for each segment. And I, because I didn't know why a hospital would buy, these are industrial chillers. Mm-hmm. Um, they control temperature and humidity. And I said, well, why does a hospital need or care about their chiller? And it was different for each, uh, for each uh, area. For example, why does a data center want to have a chiller? One is, as you know, that the equipment works better if it's cooler. Mm-hmm. And the other one is these uh, chillers um, that they make do not drip moisture, which could short out electronic equipment. And there was a couple of others. Uh, they, oh, yeah, they also had, uh, you know, we hear all this crypto about how high the, the mm-hmm. consumption is. These units, and I can't remember the reason, their condensers were designed so their power draw was way below other units. That mm-hmm. wouldn't really matter in a factory where they got a lot of power, but in a data center, it did matter. Mm-hmm. So in the copy, you're basically addressing the different um, different industries or different cycle graphics or different kinds of demos, demographics that who will per- possibly buy the product. But when you initially write the copy, you wrote it with one specific industry in mind? Uh, when I initially write the copy, here's the rule that we always said. Let's say you have multiple audiences. Mm-hmm. The, what we used to say, and I think it's still true to a large degree, is you write it for your primary audience the mm-hmm. best you can. Don't worry about anybody else. And those who would also need it will read that and say, you know, I could use that. Mm. And it's true. So, you know, if I'm doing a financial promotion and I do a lot of that and I'm writing it, you know, to a, um, to a value stock investor, I write it so that someone who's also a micro cap stock investor, I'm not catering to them, but they go, oh, it's really similar to what I need, you know, or an options trader. And so, you know, you write it to this, you laser focus on your main audience. So you're talking to one person as strongly and powerfully as you can and people, adjacent people, what I call an adjacent segments, will be attracted to it. Got it. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. So we write to a very specific audience right. and let the other audience self-select themselves into that copy in some yes. ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is great. Uh, man, I could just talk to you about copy forever. Right. There's so much in this book, so much knowledge you have about copy that's, you know, that's, it's unbelievable. Well, I enjoy it. And if you ever want to have a round two, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. And uh, with that said, uh, Bob, it's been so much fun. I know. Mm-hmm. Me too, as well. Yeah. It's uh, our time is just about coming to an end, but I want to give the stage to you to tell our listeners where to find the book and also maybe share about what you are working on right now 
and how people can take, um, you know, uh, benefit from the work you're doing and where they can find you and all that stuff. Sure. Well, the, I'll share what I'm doing now. The book, of course, is the copywriter's handbook. It's available on Amazon and it's in the new fourth edition. So you want the one with the yellow cover, not the one you have, which is the third edition. Not that it's bad, but, you know, why not get the most updated? Sure. What I'm working on now, I, I rarely do new things. I've been, you know, basically I've been a copywriter all these years, you know, the same main profession. But a guy I know who, who does online master courses talked me into doing with him an online master course on copywriting, mm. which I've started. And if you were actually to go to my website, bly.com on the homepage, scroll to the bottom and you'll see a button that says courses and that links to the course. And I was very reluctant to do it for a variety of reasons because it's not my normal thing to teach that much, but I did it. And to my pleasure, I found I just had a great time doing it. So it worked out. And that's what I'm doing now. More online master classes in copywriting, in information products, uh, marketing, in book publishing, things of that nature. Nice. And, and I like them. And they can find you at bly.com, B-L-Y.com. I'm yeah, it's damn. easy to remember. It's my last name, B as in boy, L-Y.com. When did you buy this domain? And People how much- always ask me that. And I got into the internet late, but I bought the domain name early. And you know that today there's, there are no three-letter letter domain names left with .com. Mm-hmm. And not that it's such a great domain name, but I've been offered as much as $40,000 for it. And I said to these, net, these, these domain name brokers, why would anyone want that? Their name isn't Bly. And they told me something interesting. Companies will create something that fits in with a three-letter domain name. You know? mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, and it's great. I love it because it's easy to remember. Super easy. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. As soon as I saw their domain, I was like, man, that's <laughs> a damn good domain you got there. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone who's listening, please make sure if you want to learn about copywriting, get the copywriter's handbook, not the version that I have, but the newer version, the fourth edition, and head on over to bly.com for learning more about what uh, Bob is doing. I hope you guys had a ton of fun. I enjoyed this conversation so much, and I hope, Bob, you did too. Really did, and it's a pleasure. I'd always be happy to talk to you some more. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to, and it's been, it's been a pleasure for me and see you guys all soon. See you, Bob. Okay. See you soon.